Welcome to Stories from the Field, the superintendent podcast where we always talk about issues facing public education through the lens of equity and where we tell stories of some of the most amazing leaders in public education. Sarah, where do we leave off? So we were talking about a disaster that happened in Victoria ISD, and it was really about a mold disaster right before school started in 2021. So um, about a week and a half or so before school was set to start. That's Ashley Scott, Executive Director of Communications and Public Relations at Victoria ISD, the person I actually got to spend two full days with walking around the district. Um, The maintenance department was working on opening up the fourth floor of the Stroman main building. And during that uh, week before school started, they noticed the mold um, in the ceiling tiles in several classrooms. And Victoria Stroman Middle School is now closed due to a recent air quality report. This while the next school year is less than a week away. This is from the local news at the time. 25 News Now reporter Adam Seibel spoke with the superintendent of Victoria ISD and has more. Stroman Middle School will close until further notice after mold was found within the building. This news comes as students and staff are gearing up to return back to the classroom August 18th. We spoke with Superintendent Dr. Quentin Shepard on how this will affect the Stroman staff. Our hearts just really go out to the staff at Stroman. I mean, they're, they're approximately a week away from starting school. And to get this news that they can't you know, go back into their school and that they're going to be displaced would be incredibly uncomfortable for anyone. For the time being, Stroman staff and students are going to be relocated to the Liberty Academy campus. Shepard says that the relocation to Liberty Academy is not a long-term solution. As for the students and staff at Liberty, they will start their school year at the Dr. Robert Jacklin's Conference Center. Superintendent Shepard says that a new air quality report should be in within a few weeks. I think it's a conversation for our community again. I mean, this is one of those things that we've used task forces in the past to say, if we know this is the cost and this is the timeline versus the reality that we've also got a bond that we're standing up in front of the community, what would the community have us do? Part two. The breakfast bunch. So the mold disrupts the school district. Yeah, and it's right before school started. And as we talked about in the other episode, teachers were gearing up for the year. So this was a really big deal. Um, And I'll let Ashley Scott explain it. It was then that the decision was made to um, close down that building, that students and staff were not going to be able to operate in there. And then um, several departments came to the table to decide what was going to happen with literally a whole middle school campus. That's when the decision was made to move those students to the Liberty Academy campus. The Liberty Academy campus was formerly a high school. So there was a conference center in the back that was formerly the band hall, um, cafeteria, several classrooms. And so that conference center was redesigned to house the Liberty Academy students. So we had Stroman students moving to Liberty Academy, Liberty Academy students moving back to the conference center, but we still didn't have enough room for all of the students. So that's when they come up with this solution to house the students somewhere else. Right, and that's when we hinted at the breakfast club, a cup of coffee, and Victoria College, but. Uh Uh-oh, another but? (laughs) 
to fully explain how amazing this solution was for the students and for the staff at Victoria, I think we need to take a look at Victoria, the community. So the Victoria School District and the Victoria community that I know, um, I know since about 2017 when I started becoming uh, familiar with the community. And that was right after the ravages of Hurricane Harvey. And I actually came down and interviewed with the school board still in that first year of recovery. They were within the first approximately six months of recovery from the hurricane. And uh, when I immediately uh, descended into the community just to get a feel for you know, who the board was and who the potential community members were. I can remember I went out to breakfast before I uh, met with the board, the very first time I met with the board. And it's one of these, you know, secrets that like every superintendent does when they're interviewing for a new job. They go into a local diner and they ask the waitresses, like, what do you think of the schools? I'm thinking about moving to this area. They don't say who they are. There's this random stranger and they, I love it. And they go in and they ask about the schools. And, uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, it was not a very positive message. You've heard multiple um, times that we are a um, socioeconomically disadvantaged community. So for some kids, coming to school is where they will get heat or AC throughout the day. This is where they'll get their meals. So Victoria is a very diverse community. That's Tammy Keeling, longtime school board member at Victoria ISD. I would say that it is probably one of the most varied districts. That's Mike Mercer, president of the school board at Victoria ISD. Our school population demographics have us at almost two thirds of, um, no, three quarters. Three quarters of our children would be economically disadvantaged. Uh, it's 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 a community with with uh, incredible needs. There's there's no question about that. And at the same time, we have some of the most incredible success that we have with the number of national merit scholars that come through or the finalists that come through. Uh, Victoria is a very the community itself is a very interesting town. I think historically in Texas we value and in Victoria we value education. It's not that we don't value it, but sometimes it's, I think it's more the rate of change and what people are comfortable with with the rate of change. For the most part as a community, we tend to view things as they look inside of our picket fence, so to speak, rather than, than what's on the other side. Uh, so I don't think that our general population necessarily gets that we're as diverse as, as we truly are. It was uh, not that the schools were bad, but it was it was it was really that the schools are uh, they haven't been taken care of. There's uh, a lot of misunderstanding and miscommunication between the board and the community. And I'm going to be honest, our most communities they're familiar with going to a committee meeting. They get called to a committee meeting about the dress code or whatever they're called to talk about. Right? We want parent input. We're going to engage you. We're going to get parent input. And then sitting there are two board members who go, well, we're never doing that, right? And, and, and then it comes and it, it never goes anywhere. It, and so their, their communities are used to these sorts of committees. And I just heard these, these negative overtones, but nothing that said teachers are bad, nothing that said there's, there's, there's a, you know, any criminal or illegal acts or anything. It's just this, this fractured relationship is the best way that I could put it and uh, met with the board and instantly fell in love with them because it was a board that recognized 
that they'd had this this hurricane happen and then shortly um, after the hurricane they tried to pass a bond and that failed in the community. You get really crazy challenges, right? Like in 2017, the we were on the ballot right after Hurricane Harvey hit this community. And so you're going around talking to people about the needs that our schools have, but their roof is gone and they're trying to fix their house. And the uh, school district had been making incremental gains on student achievement, but they were very slow coming, just, just very slow incremental gains. And it was a matter of deploying resources. And my predecessor, he didn't do anything wrong. He did exactly what I would have done. He had very, very limited resources. And so he deployed them into one area. And then as that school would begin to make progress, another school would, would not be making progress necessarily. So those resources would be redeployed, staff would be redeployed into a different space. And so what you saw was this just sort of uh, ebb and flow in the, in the schools themselves. And I just fell in love with the board and the community because I felt like it was a community that needed and wanted to heal. Yeah, he had been here a year and, you know, and to his credit, he had spent the first six weeks of his time in Victoria doing nothing but going around and talking to numerous organizations and community groups saying, what is it, what do you envision? The message that I heard over and over again was, uh, we need to do better, we know we need to do better, but we need to come together. And I, that's really powerful. It speaks to my leadership. I've been a superintendent now almost 18 years. And so you, you kind of learn who you are as a leader. And I knew that my particular leadership style fit with what I perceived that the community and district needed at that time. And, and one of the first things that we said to our community is we want to try to improve our school system. Uh, and at times we're going to need your help, but we're also going to do our due diligence. And we know that we need to repair uh, trust and relationships with you in the community. When I was there, we spent two days kind of driving around just to see the kind of community that these people live in. Um, what does a typical house look like? What are where do the kids hang out? And as you can see, it's a pretty socioeconomically disadvantaged area. Lots of um, homes still boarded up from Harvey that happened back in 2017. There were old um, kind of chain restaurants that were just needing to be updated, lots of fast food restaurants, um, trailer parks that were not really taken care of. And um, it, it just gave a bigger description of how important this solution was that we're gonna get to. We are eventually gonna get to it, I can't wait. Um, so, uh, so Dr. Shepard or Q as they call him, they seem to be really focused on kind of straightening out the district and, and sort of solving for some of these fiscal problems? And it, it wasn't just financially. He also had to learn how to build trust amongst the community and get a team together that really understood equity because there is so much misconception with it. And so Dr. Shepard, he had to kind of rally everyone and make sure they were all on the same page. And that's where we started talking about what what is going to be the pushback? Why are people upset? What are some of the things that people think equity is that it actually is not? If you have an abundance mindset, if your natural inclination to view the world is one of abundance, then equity is something you're comfortable talking about. If your natural orientation of the world, as hard as it might be, is one of scarcity, equity is, is, is threatening to you. Mm. That's the abundance scarcity philosophy that Dr. Shepard and all of his board members seem to share the same vision about. It presented itself so, so clearly to me 
uh, in, in a partnership meeting. So this is a community-wide meeting that we have on Tuesday mornings or whatever, and sometimes I go and stand up there and we talk about our programs and so on and so forth. And all the leaders of the community come into this room, you know, 40, 50 people, and uh, <coughs> we were talking about P-TECH. We were talking about all the great things happening for kids and like, oh, look at the success and the achievement and so on and so forth. We're killing it and on and on and on. And uh, one of our community members said, yeah, but how are we paying for this? And I was like, oh, great, I got an answer for that. We write grants for it. We, we write grants. We're not actually using local funds for this. We believe in equitable funding structures, but we know our community doesn't have the money and so on and so forth. So we write these state grants and we fund the PTAC. And this gentleman said, well, where do you think the money for state grants comes from? In his mind, it was still a matter of scarcity. You're taking my money and you're giving it to kids who typically have been historically underserved. And that was still his, his mindset. And of course, my response to him was, well, it's, it's actually still not coming from you. It's coming from places like Boeing and Texas Instruments and Tesla and all these other huge corporations in, in Texas. And it was actually one of our board members that said this. He jumped in and said, think of all these corporations that come in Texas and so on and so forth, and they're the ones who actually fund these. They pay more in taxes than you'll ever pay. And so it was just kind of helping reframe this as, no, like actually there is more than enough. Believe it or not, there, in this particular instance, there's more, this is a culture of abundance. And uh, so I think for folks who see it as a culture of abundance, we've had tremendous growth in trust. So I have said in, in my time in public education in Texas, and I've been doing it for quite a while, that's Randy Myers, the Deputy Superintendent and CFO of Victoria ISD. We have enough money to do everything we want to do if we're only trying to educate 96 to 97 percent of our students. That last three percent are very expensive. We value something, but we have different opinions on what should we be doing? When should we be doing it? How much is it going to cost? How much should we spend? There's different needs that some of those hardest to reach 3% need. And so that's where the challenge is of trying to stretch those dollars or without reducing what somebody has, trying to look for some efficiencies. And how does the lens of equity like kind of play into oh, that? Really, really great question. So. Um, because right now I am uh, running for re-election and I'm out talking to a lot of people in the community. I've had, um, and just in general, as you probably well know, conversations, larger conversations, national state conversations, in some uh, arenas equity has become a bad word. I think the misconception is or the thing that that I get is I don't want equity because I don't want dumbing down and I'm like okay well what if we talked about equity in a totally different way what I hear a lot of uh, in our in our community or at least I won't say a lot of I hear loudly let's put it that way mm -hmm. I heard something not that long ago actually it was a sermon and the pastor said that he has learned that most people are reasonable all unreasonable people are loud, uh, and I and 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 I don't and I don't say that in a, in a, in a condemn in a condemning way in any way, shape, or form. But I think that you, you hear a word like equity or diversity or some of those other words that that are a trigger, and you immediately your your 
uh, instincts immediately kick in and say, bad, 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 because it's been associated with this or these people or whatever the case may be. That's why I think designing our future together and bringing the community together to talk about what do they see, what do they feel are the priorities, because the district is also aging, like many other school districts. And one of the challenges has been, especially being in this position, is to help bring the community along and say, no, 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 it's not a bad thing. Right. We want to treat our students as people, and we want to treat our children as learners. Hmm, okay. So if we believe that we're going to treat our, our students as people and treat them as learners, then one of the ways that we work with our children as people, in my mind, is we're talking about removing barriers to your success that are, are it's not your attention in the classroom, right? It's, it's, it's things going on with you as a person that we, we need to remove so that you can be successful in the instructional environment. It, it comes back to, and it's something that, that we've worked hard on in the last five years, to be mm -hmm. compassionate it's with evident. each other yeah. and compassionate with our kids and compassionate with our families. It's why we, it's why we launched the, uh, the, community, the, family, the Family Community Center. Mm -hmm. So we, we branded it as BISD Connections, and really it's this, it's this extension on, we know that our kids need support, period, full stop. Right? And we're going to be compassionate with our kids and suffer with them. But that extends into the home. And so let's also be compassionate with families and suffer with them as well. And so what it meant was all these um, disparate organizations that are trying to help parents, it meant bringing them all together under one roof and saying, this is where a parent goes when they're struggling. This is, and we will solve whatever they are facing. We will help them. We will not suffer for them. We will suffer with them and help them solve whatever they're facing. I'm taken back to my second superintendency when I was just outside of Chicago in, in Skokie. I was still learning on how to, learning how to do this well within the organization. And uh, I remember talking to a parent who just faced all sorts of struggles uh, in the home. And so we were talking about the food bank and we were talking about the shelter and we were talking about a clothing bank and we we're talking about eyeglasses for children and it, all these different resources that existed uh, but at different places within our community and she said you might as well ask me to map a plate of spaghetti and I'm like wow what does that mean yeah map, map a, plate a plate of spaghetti. spaghetti try to draw a map of yeah. a plate of spaghetti <laughs> like that's what we were that's essentially what we were asking her to do and I'm like she's absolutely right yeah I've got I've got a staff of 2,000 people my God, if there's something that we can figure out, let's get everybody around the table and figure out how to make this woman's life easier. Scarcity and abundance is a powerful way to talk about equity. Yeah, and it boils down to that. Removing barriers does not take resources away from other students. No one is going without. It's just about what are the roadblocks that kids face that we can take away? So, for example, if we say, I'm going to give every student a device. So now you have a computer. Now you can do your classes. But then we have to talk about internet and we have to talk about check-ins and we have to talk about the kids that don't have any support at home. So it's not just taking the first step. That's a big one, but it's following through with what are the additional roadblocks? What are the additional barriers 
that kids may face and how do we take them away before they're a problem. And the beauty is the students who don't have those barriers, they're not losing anything. Everyone is just getting the equal opportunity to learn in a safe environment. In other words, seeing to equitable outcomes does not impact those for whom an equitable outcome uh, is not blocked. Absolutely. And I, I, I think as a, as a company and as an organization, we have to constantly talk about that because I don't know why that is the misconception on equity. Right. Why do people feel threatened by it? I don't know. But sometimes all it takes is clearing up someone's misconception. But I think yeah. that it's just it's hard for us to wrap our head around that. But it is, it is a, a real misconception. Yes. Okay, Doug, are you ready for what's coming next? I, I will say this, the idea of utilizing some of the classrooms at Victoria College as a as a fresh start for our kids, you you know where that idea actually came from the first time that that idea was, was dropped? Is he talking about what I think he's talking about? Doug, thank you for your patience. And yes, we are going to get there. It's time we start talking about relationships again and the breakfast bunch. Did you seek those? Uh, breakfasts or whatever yeah. lunches out. How how does that work? How did that happen? Uh, so the, the other person who comes to those breakfasts is the president of UHV University of Houston yes. here in Victoria, and so he was new and hired just shortly after I was new. So the both of us were new, and the previous uh, president of Victoria College, he he was the long-standing sort of member, if you will. He'd been here for for several years, and so I called him up one day and I said, "Look, I." I firmly believe that we get our more, more work done when we know each other, when we have a relationship. Um, I have this big, big thing about compassionate leadership. It's just kind of how I'm wired. That, that has very specific meaning to me. Compassion, if you break it down, passion is to suffer. Compassion is to suffer with. And so I can remember my very first conversation with David Hines, the former president of Victoria College, and I told him, I want to suffer with you. I don't want to suffer for you. I don't want you to suffer for me, but I want to suffer together. And I need to, we need to have a relationship so that we can do that. Now, the first time you say that to a person that you really don't know all that well, it's quite disquieting, yeah. I've, I've come to realize. But people are pretty quick to get over it. And they're like, take to accept the break. <laughs> not long. Like, I'm sure it was genuine curiosity more than anything else. And so then Bob also came along. He was the new president of UHP. And we, we literally just sat and had breakfast and kind of got to know each other that first time and maybe even the second the second month. And then by the third month, we're talking about the things that, were, that are important to us, values and you know, that sort of thing. And eventually this then leads to conversations about, well, what are some of the cool things that we could be doing or what are some things that you're struggling with right now that we can help each other, help each other out with? Well, um, I have a very close relationship with um, both the university president and our school district superintendent. Now it's a good time we meet Dr. Kent president of Victoria College. I had the opportunity of meeting Dr. Kent in her office and she was a boss. The three of us meet monthly, we go to breakfast, we have good conversation, we text and call. And so then Jennifer came and, and immediately we just folded her right in and we're like, look, we do this monthly breakfast and we need to be able to get together on a regular basis. This is something that we have intentionally made time in our schedules to get together. And then the conversations that come from that have just been amazing. And we're always, you know, looking at how can, how can we um, pull our resources together and our uh, ability to cast a wider net together and ultimately help this community. 
So something that I'm, a, a pattern that I'm seeing here in successful outcomes or places is mm -hmm. communication between the educators for the entire area, not just right. high school, not just college, but it, just entire areas getting together and communicating just in, in the same way that IEI does. Which mm -hmm. is well, and just leaning in on support, right? Col right. And it's not an agenda-led meeting. It's just all of our, we come together and we can come up with some very interesting <laughs> ideas together. <laughs> <laughs> What's the craziest idea you ever came up with? <laughs> I don't think we've hit it yet. <laughs> so, so, so this is what's happening. You're close with everyone and then you hear on the news and then you, you're like, we'll help. Right, right. And so we had a we had a breakfast and it, it may have been that day or the very next day that this news was breaking. And um, both the university president and I both told uh, Dr. Shepard, whatever you need, we will help. And so, you know, I came back and was talking to to the people here on campus and we said, well, you know, the, the second floor of our academic building has several classrooms that are located together that are currently um, unused and we could easily move things around to relocate. College classes are easy to move. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we said, let's do that. We'll offer it to the school district at no, at no charge. That was breakfast. That's that's what I was going to say the breakfast club. It has to the be. The breakfast club, of because course. She, she <laughs> the, that's what she said. She told us, she says, yeah. we were, we have, we're having our breakfast. You were telling them like, I had this problem. And she says, wait a minute, I got, yeah. I might have some, I might be able to help you with that. Well, well, that's like you're the, the biggest resource in your own backyard, right? Right. So why not use it? But right. then there's logistics that go with it. Oh yeah, but that all gets worked out. Right. <laughs> the answer, the answer to how is always yes. Okay. So, <laughs> right? so you're How like, are we we're gonna doing do this? this. Yes, yes, we're going to do it. Like, yeah. that's, it just, just so we're clear on that. But yeah, right. If I wasn't willing to share my suffering with her, she wouldn't have been. I, I didn't know that they had those classrooms. Right. And she was suffering that the classrooms were empty. I think to some degree, and we're like, great. Let's marry this suffering together and do great things for kids. But that started a conversation that began as um, a reaction to a situation, but then immediately turned into, well, as long as these high schoolers are going to be here, what else can we do with them? Mm -hmm. What else can we do? And we knew that these were students who were um, highly at risk of dropping out of high school. Um, that's my background. I was 19 years K-12, many years as a high school principal. My dissertation, my research is on high school dropouts. And so just we knew that we had an opportunity that started with a situation um, where there was need, but turned into something completely different. And we're going to find out how the collaboration between a moldy campus, credit recovery students, the breakfast bunch, and Victoria College changed this district in profound ways. Can't wait. So join us for the next episode of Stories from the Field the superintendent podcast. Just a quick shout out to our producer, John Freeman, who joined us to lead the work during our podcast this season and is the voice you're hearing sometimes in the background asking questions. Thanks so much for being with us, Johnny. We appreciate all you've done for the podcast. We'd like to let you know that to create these stories, it takes a village. This episode was directed by John Freeman, videography and audio by Sho Matsuyama, Chase Mezo, John Freeman, 
Sarah Kroll, and Doug Roberts. Edited by John Freeman, Chase, Mazo, and Sho Matsuyama. Stories from the Field podcast was produced for IEI with Century Tree Productions. Be sure to like and share these stories with anyone and everyone. Yes, they are that inspiring. IEI is committed to bringing educational leaders together to ensure that they have the influence, access, resources, and support they need to lift students' voices. We empower superintendents to amplify their voices, becoming thought leaders who shape the future of education.